Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. And, all right, Justin and Pete are not here today. Justin is off in L.A. Pete is off in the mountains somewhere. So it's just me hosting The Stack completely solo this may go completely wrong. It already went completely wrong. I messed up the word completely, but we'll see what happens. I got some water here. I'm ready to go. Going through a bunch of comic book reviews all by myself. So thank you for bearing with me today. But we're going to kick it off with a big issue from DC Comics that I was very excited about. Black Manta, number one, written by Chuck Brown, art by Valentin Delandro. Now, I don't know what it is about Black Manta in particular that I find so fascinating as a villain. I just really like the design, I think, his direction, his intensity. There was a short story in the recent Aquaman 80th anniversary special, I believe it was the 80th anniversary special, that came out. There were two of them with Black Manta, but one that was kicking off this run in particular that was really, really good, so I was excited to check this out, and I really don't think it disappointed. It shows Black Manta involved in some sort of weird, mystical pirate thing. There's a bunch of other things that are going on in the background that have some forces that are closing in on him. There's a group of thieves who are also using magic as well to take things down. Some very weird things happened at the end that I can't quite connect to the rest of the narrative yet, but the thing that really brings it through is the art by Valentin Delandro, which is absolutely gorgeous throughout. It reminds me a little bit of Javier Rodriguez and some other people like that, maybe a Marcos Martin, but a little sketchier. That's not exactly right, but it's really, really beautiful, and if you have any interest in the character, or even if you don't, I think it's definitely worth checking out. Moving on to another number one, we got Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land, number one, from Marvel, written by Zach Thompson, art by Jermaine Garcia. Now, this is spinning off of the last cosmic event that happened in Marvel that killed off Kazar and his wife. They are Brack now. They are some sort of plant people or something like that. They have very weird land-based powers that allow them to connect to the Savage Land. But again, very, very pretty art and layouts in here to the point that nothing against Zach Thompson's words that I think are very good and the characterizations are good, but I almost wish they would go away. We could just look at the pictures here because this is maybe the most beautiful that the Savage Land has ever looked, or at least recently looked, in terms of comics. It really gives it a weird, wild life of its own. But at the same time as Kazar is dealing with these news powers, there's some sort of tech-based menace that is growing in the Savage Land, and spoiler for the end of the issue, but seemingly teaming up with his son. So there's a lot of stuff set up really nicely in here. Kazar, opposite from Black Manta, a character that I don't have any particular affinity to, but I really enjoyed this book and found it very interesting. 
Let's move on to one of my most anticipated books of the week, which is May's book, number one from Dark Horse Comics by Jeff Lemire. This is art and writing by Jeff Lemire. And anytime Jeff Lemire does a new title, particularly one solo all by himself, that's repetitive. Shouldn't have solo and all by himself right after each other. Also shouldn't have repeated what I just said twice in a row. But it's great. Uh, this is mostly a book about a man dealing with the loss of his daughter, Literally, he doesn't know where she is, thought maybe she died. He's wandering through his life in a daze, uh, as usual with the Jeff Lemire book. The art and the design is absolutely beautiful. As you see shots of him in an office or on a city street, and they're all kind of laid out like a maze, slowly teasing this thing that I won't ruin at the end of the issue, but there's a big twist that happens there that really changes it up in a disturbing way that made me gasp out loud at the end of the book. But again, another great book by Jeff Lemire, who is always on fire. I'm very happy to read this and highly recommend checking this out. Next up, let's talk about Infinite Frontier, number six from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Zermonico. This is tying up the six-issue miniseries meant to redefine, once again, the DC Universe. And I think I've been kind of the mixed voice on this, though I'm always up for a good superhero slugfest. The first couple of issues promise something a little more and far-reaching, similar to 52, the title back in the day. But here we've ended up mostly on a slugfest on Earth Omega, fighting against Darkseid and his minions, specifically Psycho Pirate here. I wasn't a huge fan of the last two issues of this. This I enjoyed. There's some fun stuff that happened here with Psycho Pirate, whatever's happening with him next. Some fun stuff with the Flash at the end, a tease of a big, potentially very weird event that's potentially coming next year in 2022 that, if it pads out the way that I think it will, should be very exciting. And also the tease of a big returning villain, or at least theme of a villain, which sounds very vague, but you'll understand what I mean when you read it, that turns up here that ties together a lot of different continuities of the DC Universe, which seems like the point. So overall, I think this is a fine miniseries, particularly if you're super into DC continuity. Otherwise, uh, I'm excited about the things that are coming up next, but I'm also a little tired of events that tee up other events ad nauseum. Uh, so good art, solid comic, I'm excited about what happens down the road, but overall, I don't think this is necessarily one that I'll be revisiting anytime soon. Not to sound too harsh. Next up, another one that surprised me, Conan the Barbarian, number 300 from Marvel, written by Jim Zub, Larry Hama, Dan Slott, and James Owlsley, formerly known as Priest. Art by Corey Smith, Paul Davidson, Marcos Martin, and Roberto Della Torre. If you just listen to that lineup, that is a murderer's row of creators on this book, and it really does pan out there from Jim Zub, tying together a lot of themes from his run on Conan, to Larry Hama bringing a little bit of the classic flair, to the standout story in my mind is Dan Slott and Marcos Martin, who do One Wild Drunken Night of Conan fighting and drinking and going through weird magical things as he always does. But the camera always keeps focused directly on Conan in the center of frame the entire time. So it's not exactly from his perspective, but it is a fixed perspective on him. And the story is just awesome. I loved reading this and I, I would love to go back and read it again and pick it apart. Dan Slott and Marcus Bertine work so well together. It's just exciting to read. And then there's the last story by James Owsley and Roberto De La Torre. If you're a Conan fan, it's teasing what's coming up in the Marvel Conan comics. So probably important to read that there. 
Next up, let's talk about Last Flight Out, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Eduardo Ferragato. This is a brand new title, as you probably figured out, by Mark Guggenheim, who has been writing comics here and there, but has mostly been in the TV realm for the past couple of years, though he certainly wrote a lot of comics back in the day. But this is an original property from him about ecological disaster destroying the world in the not-near future, and the entire not the entire citizenry, but a good chunk of the citizenry of Earth, making plans to escape in a gigantic ship's gigantic arcs to get off the planet now that they've ruined this one. But in very political form, and I think very well done, particularly for comics, there's a bunch of truthers who are saying, just because there's fires everywhere doesn't mean the Earth is going to be destroyed. I'm not leaving. I'm not getting on those arcs. What does the government want to do? So clear parallels to the pandemic in particular, but a lot of things that cause a political divide in particular uh, today. Um, and again, the political commentary is spot on. The framing for the story is a little more typical action movie where there's a father who's pushed his daughter to the side the entire time he's been building this arc. With 24 hours to go, he finds out she is not getting on the arc, so he heads to Chicago, which is the center of ecological disaster, to try to rescue her and convince her to get on the arc. Leaving it to the last second there, buddy. I mean, come on. But... Uh, it turns out pretty much exactly how you think towards the end there. So that sort of story is fine. I think it seems like a nice tee-up for the eventual movie version of this. But the overall world is very well done and, again, very prescient in terms of the politics. So I was a big fan of that. Next up, one of my favorite titles, The Swamp Thing, number seven from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Mike Perkins. This is the second part of a Suicide Squad crossover, not a crossover, I guess, a guest appearance by the Suicide Squad. Things get very dark here. Like I said with the last issue, I'm still not a huge fan of forcing the Suicide Squad into this just because everything with Swamp Thing and the history that Ram V and Mike Perkins have been delving into has been so good for the five issues before that that it's a bit of a bummer to tie it so directly into DC Comics continuity and Suicide Squad being in theaters and on HBO Max in particular. But it is what it is. It's still a beautifully drawn story by Mike Perkins. He draws some gorgeous, horrific things. And I like this issue much better than the last one because it's all about one of the members of the Suicide Squad plumbing through the new Swamp Thing's memories and challenging him and saying, do you still want to be Swamp Thing? I could take that away and ultimately him having to make a decision. There's also a tee-up of a big fight next issue, so I think that should be interesting and presumably wrap that up. So hopefully we're getting back to some regular Swamp Thing stuff soon, but as it is right now, uh, we're in Suicide Squad land. And now it is time to pay some bills via this week's sponsor, Manscaped. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use your best tools for the job for the leaders in male grooming. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. 
Now, ready for an out-of-the-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has taken off not only in the USA, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold your whole solar system. First schedule for liftoff! New Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, balls, butt, and even Uranus. Get it? The fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multi function on off switch, can engage a travel lock, and is even waterproof. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 4,000K LED spotlight. You can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. Just one ear, singular ear, the other ear is fine. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Don't forget to use Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and their Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag, a board Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that woody with Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. And I'll tell you what, that's what that ad is supposed to sound like. Next up, Star Trek The Mirror War Number 0 from IDW, written by Scott and David Tipton, art by Carlos Nieto. I'll admit that I haven't been reading a lot of the Star Trek IDW titles in a while, but I figured check out this one because it's a Zero issue, and everybody on the podcast, myself, Pete, and Justin, we all love Zero issues, so super fun to check out. But here we are getting Jean-Luc Picard, a very jacked, mind you, Jean-Luc Picard and crew deciding to take down the Emperor of the Mirrorverse, leading into the Mirror War of the title. So that should be super fun as a bad version of the next-gen crew fights against everybody in the Mirror Universe and tries to win. Um, as it is, this is a rev-up issue reminding people a lot of the continuity that happened before, which for somebody who hasn't read it, like myself, very helpful and glad to see. If you're a Star Trek fan, I think check this one out. Otherwise, maybe wait for the number one of the Mirror War. Actually, don't. You're not probably not going to like that either because you don't like Star Trek. Don't listen to me. Here's one that everybody is going to like, though. The Nice House on the Lake, number four from DC Comics, written by James Tynion IV, art by Alvarbo, Alvaro Martinez Bueno. This continues to be one of the best books on the stands today. This horror book about a bunch of people trapped inside of a house while the rest of the world has died. A fiery, horrific death thanks to aliens or demons or something like that. Whatever it is, a former friend of theirs is preserving them and keeping them safe in the house. There's a very lost vibe to this book as we see individual members of the house flashback in time to see how they met the guy who has trapped them there and slowly unfurling the mystery 
This is one of the darkest, saddest parts, saddest issues, excuse me, of this book so far, but very well written as usual. Art is absolutely gorgeous. It's scary in a psychological way, even though you do have a lot of body horror stuff going on, but very, very well done. This is the point when I'm going to have a little sip of water here and take a little break, so bear with me. Glug, glug, glug. The Me You Love in the Dark, number two from Image Comics, written by Scotty Young, art by Jorge Corona. This is a beautiful book from this team, absolutely gorgeous and also terrifyingly drawn by Jorge Corona, about a artist who moves to a house to try to get inspiration, but finds inspiration in one of the most unlikely possible places, a ghost, or at least it seems to be a ghost. Again, maybe a demon or something like that. But the way they are teasing this out as a romance book with something that is a potentially malevolent entity that lives in the house is really very nicely mixing rom-com and horror. And I'm very much on board with this book. This is one that you'll definitely want to check out if you haven't already. Moving on to Green Lantern number six from DC Comics, written by Jeffrey Thorne, art by Marco Santucci and Tom Rainey. This continues to be a real standout series for DC Comics. There are two stories going on, but there's a hint here that things are going to start coming together very quickly. The first story is involving Joe Green Lantern for the Far Sector books. In this issue, she finally tangles with Sinestro in a very interesting, very Joe way. And I like how they're treating these different previously side characters to the point that Sinestro even says, oh, I expected Jordan here. And Joe's like, nope, got me instead. And better for it. I These are interesting new Green Lantern stories that I'm excited to read. Now, the backup story that I've been a little iffy on, the Jon Stewart story, is really starting to come together here with some nice twists that, again, as I mentioned, seem to tie into the bigger Uber story that Jeffrey Thorne and the team are telling. So if you're a Green Lantern fan, this is a good time to be checking this book out. Moving on to six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. Number four from Image Comics, written by Kyle Starks, art by Chris Schweizer. Love this book so much. So funny, so much fun. It's about a Chuck Norris type who has a bunch of sidekicks from different TV shows who absolutely hate him, but all have to band together to solve his potential murder. In this issue, we meet yet another one of the sidekicks, the one who they suspect of murder. Of course, since we're not quite done with the book yet, it's not him, or at least we don't think it's him. But every issue of this book, super fun, super creative, but the action is really good as well. Chris Schweizer's characters are very funny. Kyle Starks knows his way around a plot. And I'll tell you what, I'm even really interested in the murder mystery beyond all the comedy and action at the same time. So even though these sidekick characters kind of don't know what they're doing, it's still a fun mystery to follow, and it looks like we're going to be tying it up pretty soon, so it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. Moving on to Suicide Squad, Get Jerker, number two from DC Comics, written by Brian Azarello, art by Alex Maleev. If I remember correctly, we were very surprised by this one on the podcast because it ended up being a lot more, a lot darker than we expected for this book. It's a Suicide Squad movie tie-in again. But here, this is a Black Label book. You got, of course, Brian Azzarello, who doesn't shy away from a curse word or adult situations. Alex Believe really knows how to draw dark situations as well. But after the first issue, the Joker has the little doohickey that makes everybody's heads blow up. Here, in this issue, the Suicide Squad mostly hangs out 
waiting to find out what's going to happen next and why the Joker hasn't blown them up. And in the second half of the issue, they gun directly for Joker. There are some, I would say, dicey situations that happen, like Harley Quinn is forced into a situation where she has to strip for the Joker, ultimately turning the situation around on him, that I didn't love I think there's other ways to get around that and other ways potentially to use Harley Quinn, even if she does ultimately take the power back of the situation. But still, this is a very dark, fun book, and I appreciate the fact that because this is out of continuity, absolutely anything can happen to these characters, and it can pay off on the promise of the Suicide Squad that you can kill off potentially major characters, something that they can't do in the mainstream continuity books for the most part, because those characters are safe, which is kind of a bummer when you got a Suicide Squad. But not here. And this is wrapping up, I believe, next issue, so it should be fun to see how that turns out. Next up is Ordinary Gods, number three from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Felipe Watanabe. This is a very good new book to check out, sort of a mix of Wicked and Divine and a couple of other things that I'm probably not thinking of. But here we have a bunch of folks that have been reincarnated throughout time. They uh, came from another planet. Here we get a bunch of twists with that. While the villain of the book, it's not entirely clear who actually is the bad guy here purposefully so yet, but it seems like the bad guy gets away and is probably coming after, again, question mark, our hero. But this continues to be very creative and very interesting and really build the mythology very well each book. Uh, you can check out our interview with Kyle Higgins from a few weeks ago on the live show, where he talked about this quite a bit and his inspiration here. This is something he's been sitting on for a while, and I think quite naturally he jammed a lot of ideas into that first issue, but it's starting to space out nicely issue after issue. So definitely after three issues, I'm on board with this one. Let's move on to Batman number 112 from DC Comics, written by James Todd IV and Brandon Thomas, art by Jorge Jimenez and Jason Howard. This is kicking off Fear State, and if you picked up the free comic book day issue, you might recognize a couple of pages from the beginning there. Don't get turned off like I did initially. Keep going through it. Some new stuff happens eventually as Batman has fought his way away from the Scarecrow, finds his city once again in ruins. The Scarecrow ascended and tries to rally the Bat-Team family to fight against him. This is very much a beginning chapter of Fear State, but this is already a good, fun crossover, and Scarecrow is a very scary villain in here. We also get a backup with Clown Hunter fighting uh, Scarecrow, which I honestly thought was the best part of the book. Brandon Thomas really whites this very well. Clown Hunter being like, whoops, maybe I should have listened to the Bad Family. Then I would have known how to deal with the Scarecrow guy. And Jason Howard's art is awesome in this story. So though the first story is solid, again, a lot of it is from the free comic book day book. If you didn't pick that up, great. You're going to love this. If you already did, definitely pick it up for the backup story, which is very, very cool. Now it's time for a returning classic that seems to be gone very often. Deadly Class, number 48, from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Wes Craig. In this issue, we are finally, finally flashing back to the night that everything went down at the Academy when our, again, question mark heroes fought to free themselves from everything that's going on. Something that we've talked about and alluded to, but really jumped ahead of in the timeline. And I sort of wish that we had stayed with this because going back to the school and the conflict there is so strong and so important. I really miss that as part of the book. 
talked about this a lot with Deadly Class, but I always think Rick Remender has this tendency to veer away from his concept almost purposely so as hard as possible. He's done that very hard with Deadly Class because there's a lot of other things that he wants to talk about in the book, but it's strongest when it gets back to the base concept, even if in this issue, mind you, they're kind of tying up the concept and heading into, I believe, the last four issues of the book, which presumably will wrap up everything for our main characters. But the real hero here, as always, is Wes Craig's art. He's tasked with drawing some absolutely insane fight scenes in this issue, and they all come off swimmingly. Next up, a title that I've been very mixed on, Batman Catwoman, number seven from DC Comics, written by Tom King. And interestingly, this issue, art by Liam Sharp, not by Clay Mann. Listen, everybody needs a break. I know that right now more than absolutely anybody. But bringing in Liam Sharp, particularly when Clay Mann was such a part of this book, is a little bit of a surprise here. But I'll tell you what, for somebody who has been mixed on Batman Catwoman, even though I really like Tom King, love Clay Mann's art, this is maybe the best issue of the book. And I think part of that is Liam Sharp through his layouts and the way that he draws the character. I'd also give a shout out to the colorist on this book, which I really should have looked up the name of, but I did not. And I am sorry to that person, but it's much clearer what's going on in terms of the timelines. It's also possible because it avoids the phantasm stuff other than a brief mention here. So it's easier to follow because it's mostly in two timelines that are paralleling each other versus three or more timelines. We're still getting that here. And there are some interesting choices like Liam Sharp's Bruce Wayne is enormous, like three times the size of any normal person. There's several very adult scenes of him making love to Catwoman throughout this book, and he is at least twice the size of her, so let's not even get into that too much. But still, I think the art is really good here, and this really made me shine. I'm still a little iffy on this book and kind of want to see how it all ties up. I, I'm confident it will, because Tom King is good at sticking the landing and making you look back and go, oh, okay, that's why he made those choices. But as of right now, this is maybe my favorite issue, mostly because it was the clearest issue of the book so far. Next up, one of the best books that hasn't been on the stands for a very long time, Excellence, number 11 from Image Comics, written by, once again, Brandon Thomas, this time art by Kari Randolph. In case you forgot, this takes place in a world where only men can do magic and only black men at that, except, as we find out in this issue, that's not true at all. We've already had a character in the background, a white man who could do magic. His magical avatar looks very much like a guy dressed in a Ku Klux Klan outfit. So no subtlety there, but definitely very important in terms of the politics and the racial politics of this book. But here we meet a female character who can, in fact, do magic as well and teaches our main character, oops, the world wasn't exactly what you thought it was. Every issue of this is gorgeously drawn by Carrie Randolph. There's always standout sequences. And I love the devotion of this book to the individual issue, even though they're telling an enormous story with enormous mythology and very complicated character dynamics that, uh, in all honesty, are sometimes a little hard to keep track of, particularly given the sporadic nature of the release of the book. But at the same time, every issue tells a complete story, a chapter in this overall big story, and it's always very exciting to read. If you haven't checked out Excellence, I believe there's one collection so far and a couple of issues beyond that, but it is great. Absolutely fantastic book. Very excited to see it back, and I hope it is more frequent from here. But hey, if it's not, if that's what it takes to get it out, that's absolutely fine. Next up, here's a book that I think we missed talking about the second issue of Mamo, number three from Boombox by Sas Milaj. 
This is a very Miyazaki book, straight up, about a witch girl and another girl who is learning to be a witch, traveling across the countryside. Here, they interact with some crow people and other things. The visuals are very gorgeous. It's all very dreamlike and interesting. There's a light sense that maybe there's some sort of LGBTQ plus romance that might be going on with the main characters here, if you're into that sort of thing. So that definitely has going on, but it's a little subtle. It's a boombox book, so we'll let it go and we'll see what happens. But at the same time, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Just, it's like reading a warm blanket of a book in a certain way. It's so comfortable because everybody's so calm as they're going through their day, as they're fighting these evils. They're like, oh, well, time to cause some magic. Let's make a friendship bracelet. So I really enjoy reading this book quite a bit, and I think you will as well. And last but not least, The Unbelievable Unteens, number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Jeff Lemire. Once again, art by Tyler Crook. This is part of the Black Hammer series of books. Once again, we are dealing with memory issues like a lot of the Black Hammer books deal with. Here, it is for an X-Men team, who have for X-Men style team, excuse me, who have forgotten who they are. The first issue, we focused on a comic book writer who is channeling the adventures of the unbelievable unteens, not realizing she was an unteen herself. She was awoken the last issue by the one character that remembered. This issue, they go after a couple of the other unbelievable unteens to find them and bring them out of their own stupor with a twist at the end that maybe some of them haven't quite forgotten as much as they think they would. But as good as this story is, the real standout here, once again is Tyler Crook's art, which is awesome. It flits between an old comic book style for the X-Men adventures that they're showing off, X-Men style adventures, I keep saying that, and stuff that's happening in the modern day with our main characters. He plays with panels. There's a point when one character remembers, and it's like a comic is popping out of their head. Absolutely awesome book. Really love this. Every Black Hammer book is good. I don't know how Jeff Lemire is keeping this line so consistent, but he absolutely is. And hey, that is it for the stack. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Thank you for listening to me blather on. At the very least, Justin should be back next week if Pete has managed to escape uh, the mountains. I believe he is being hunted for sport, but I'm not 100% sure about that. If you'd like to support our podcast, though, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com, this podcast, and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Virtual Comic Book Shop. 